After the Advent season, we come back now to our study in 1 Timothy. And the timing of this text, I think, is a good text for us to look at as we begin a new year, a call to prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we begin reading at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Let's bow in prayer. Father, you have given us the privilege to enter into your presence today, to kneel at your feet and to call upon you, Lord. And I pray that you would remind us of the awesome privilege we have and also of the responsibility that we have to pray, to pray for all men, for those in authority, to pray for those who are lost and need a Savior. And Father, I pray that as the disciples asked you, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray, that you indeed would do that in our lives this year. Teach us what it means to pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. In 1949, Billy Graham held his first evangelistic meetings in Los Angeles, California. And the meetings took place in a big tent that held 6,000 people. And they met for eight weeks every night. 350,000 people came to those meetings. And there were several thousand people that came to know the Lord as their Savior. Cliff Barrows long-time music director and friend of Billy Graham, said that there was also a smaller tent that was placed to the side of the big tent. And he said that's where the real work was done. That was the prayer tent. And prior to those services and during those services, there were people down on their knees before God, pleading with God to bring salvation to the souls of men. We often see what happens in the big tent, don't we? 
the big events. And I remember as a child watching Billy Graham preach in and, and those stadiums and, and, and seeing all those people coming forward and just amazed at what God was doing. But you know what? There was maybe a smaller group, maybe, maybe not a large group, but they were gathered to pray. And God did a mighty work through the prayers of His people. As Paul writes to Timothy, About life in the congregation, he challenges him to pray. And we see three principles of prayer in our text today. First of all, prayer is a priority above all things. Prayer is a priority above all things. Notice how Paul begins this section in verse 1. He says, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all Man, the word then is a conclusion, and so we need to look back and see what it was that Paul was saying prior to this. And if you look back to verse 18, he is challenging Timothy in ministry, and he's reminding him that it is a battle, that he needed to fight the good fight. And now he comes to chapter 2, and he tells him that this battle begins on his knees. He says, first of all, or as of primary importance in ministry, you need to be a man of prayer. If you look at how Paul approached his ministry, you see that he really believed this. (laughs) He's not just saying this. He really believed that ministry must be bathed in prayer. In fact, if you look at his epistles, you will see over and over again, he is asking for prayer. Let me give you some examples. Romans 15, 30 and 31. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. 2 Corinthians 1.11 You also joining in helping us through your prayers. Ephesians 6.19 and 20 He says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Sam read from Colossians chapter 4, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 and 2, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And so Paul understood that he was in a spiritual battle in ministry and that in order to conduct a spiritual ministry, it needed spiritual weapons. And someone has said that the church moves forward on its knees. And the longer that I'm involved in ministry, the more I realize that that is true. God is the one who changes lives. And he responds as we come to him in prayer. So prayer is the priority above all things. The second principle Paul gives here is that prayer is a plea on behalf of all men. As he urges Timothy to make prayer a priority, notice what is the scope of his prayer. He is to pray not just for himself or for his family or for his congregation, but he is to pray for all men. 
First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and for all who are in authority. Now, if you're wondering who was in authority in Paul's day, let me tell you, it wasn't an evangelical Christian. (laughs) Uh, Very far from it. Uh, Those in authority, the one in authority as the emperor of the Roman Empire was a man by the name of Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, you know that he was a very cruel and a very vicious man. I read a little bit about him, and here's what I found out. In A.D. 64, there was a large part of Rome that was destroyed by a fire. And whether or not this was ordered by Nero, we can't really know for sure, but he needed a scapegoat, and the believers, the Christians, ended up being the scapegoats. And Tacitus writes this. He says, Their death was made a matter of sport. They were covered in wild beast skins and torn to pieces by dogs. They were fastened to crosses and set on fire in order to serve as torches by night. Nero had offered his gardens for the spectacle and gave an exhibition in his circus, mingling in the crowd in the guise of a charioteer or mounted in his chariot. And then Tacitus adds this. He says, hence there arose a feeling of pity because it was felt that they were being sacrificed not for the common good, but to gratify the savagery of one man. That's the kind of man that Timothy is told to pray for. Not for a beloved, godly man, not for someone who who cared about his people, but for a, a vicious savage like him. And Paul says, Timothy, you need to pray for this man. And it wasn't asking God that he would do away with him, but rather asking that God would save him. That God would bring him to a knowledge of the truth. Do any of you read the bulletin? I didn't think so. But in the bulletin, you'll find this uh, church around the world. Any of you read that? I know you don't read the bulletin because you call during the week and say, what time was that supposed to be anyhow? Well, it was in the bulletin. Well, maybe you read this. I found this quite interesting. Uh, Franklin Graham, after recent requests by President Obama for prayer as he faces the complex challenges of leading the U.S., Franklin Graham made the following statement. He said, the president's request was a pointed reminder to me that I should be praying for our president and our leaders every day. Not to get something from them, but simply in obedience to the Scriptures. And he says, I personally haven't prayed the way I should. And I'm sure that's the case for some of you as well. We know from Scripture that God can turn the hearts of kings. That means that we should be praying for God's will to be done and for our leaders to seek God and to listen to Him. And he says we should pray that they would be surrounded by godly counsel and most important, that our leadership would personally know God and the salvation found through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Prayer is the Christian's greatest weapon in a world that seems to be coming apart around us. Now, if I were to ask you how many of you Pray daily that our president would come to know Jesus. How many of us could raise our hand? Some. 
But that's the call, isn't it? For kings, for those in authority, praying that they would somehow come to know Jesus as their Savior. It is very easy to criticize them, and I have done it. But how much time have we spent on our knees, praying for those in authority that God would save them? Notice the words that Paul uses to describe how we ought to pray. The word entreaties, verse 1, is from a word meaning to lack or to be without something. And so this kind of prayer arises from a sense of need. As we look out on the masses of of lost humanity, the enormity of the need should drive us to our knees in prayer. There is a lost world out there, isn't there? Prayers is a more general word that has an element of worship and reverence. And so prayer for the lost is ultimately directed to God as an act of worship. Because when people come to know Jesus, they worship Him. And so we're praying that many more would honor this Jesus that we love. 2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul reveals that all his efforts at reaching the ungodly were to spread salvation to more and more people, that God would be glorified. And so there's an element of worship in our prayers. The word petitions appears only here in one other place in the New Testament. It comes from a word meaning to fall in with someone or to get involved with them. And so praying for others is is not something that's cold or impersonal. It is getting involved in their lives and, and seeking to bring them to Jesus. And we pray with thanksgiving. Thanking God for what He is going to do. Being grateful for the privilege of reaching out to the lost with the gospel and rejoicing that some will believe, that some will respond, that some will be saved as we pray and as we share the good news. And we have good reason to pray for all men. Look at what Paul goes on to say. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. Did you notice the use of the word all, 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 all? Praying for all men because God desires all men to be saved because Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. So there's the foundation. There's the basis. That's why we pray. God wants them to be saved. He gave his son for them to be saved. And so we ought to pray for all men, pleading with God to do a work in people's lives. Notice finally that prayer is proper in all places. Verse 8 says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And it shouldn't be surprising that Paul would say he wants men in every place to pray because there is a need wherever you go. Every family, every individual, every congregation, every community is in need of prayer. 
And notice Paul says that men, M-E-N, men are to take the lead. I want men in every place to pray. And he's not using the word men there generically in, in terms of mankind, because in the very next verse he talks about women. And so we as men are to be leaders when it comes to prayer. You know what? In a lot of churches, it's the women that pray more than the men. And Paul says, I want men everywhere to pray. Men to lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And I don't think he's talking so much about the posture of prayer here. Because there's other ways to pray, on our knees or on our face before God. But the idea of lifting up holy hands is, is the idea of living a, a holy life because the hands symbolize action and the things that we do. And so a godly life along with a prayer life is really important because how can we expect God to hear if we're living in sin? Lifting up holy hands without wrath. And dissension. And if you're wondering what it is that encourages us to make prayer for the salvation of souls a priority, Paul tells us it is because of what Jesus has done for us. He has given himself as a ransom for us and for all men. And when you know Jesus, you want others to know him like you know him, don't you? When you come into a living relationship with Jesus, you've been cleansed from your sin. Your name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. You've been given the Spirit of God and you walk in fellowship. Don't you want others to know that same Jesus that you know? Don't you want them to experience eternal life, abundant life, the kind of life that you know because of Jesus? Remember back in my college days, the Navigator's ministry was meaningful to me. Just the emphasis on one-to-one discipleship and memorizing Scripture and getting into the Word and, and being willing to testify to the world of what the Lord has done for you. Well, the theme of the Navigator's is to know Christ and to make Him known. And that really describes it all, doesn't it? If you know Jesus, you want to make Him known. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Him. And when you get to know Him, you will want to make Him known. And so as we think of a new year, that would be a great way to live. Lord, to know You. To know You more. To grow in my relationship with You. And then the fruit of that, the result of that, is the desire to make Jesus known. Where does it start? It starts on our knees. First of all, then, we pray. And you know what happens when we begin to pray for people? God begins to open doors. Amazing thing. My dad used to pray every morning as he started the day, Lord, lead me to some soul today and teach me, Lord, what to say. And it was amazing, the doors that God opened for him. The opportunities that were there, because it started on his knees. And God would open up those doors. What a difference. Wouldn't it make a difference 
In our congregation this year, if we all agreed before God to say, I'm going to begin each day with that prayer, Lord, lead me today to someone. Some soul that needs you today. Someone that needs encouragement. Someone that is lost that needs a Savior. And then, Lord, teach me what to say. Open my mouth that I might proclaim your word. God wants to save them. That's his desire. That all would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus has provided salvation for them. A ransom for all. And he wants to use you and me. As we first get on our knees. And then we open our mouth and proclaim his truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us. For the many times that we have not gotten on our knees to pray. Lord, it begins there. First of all, then. First of all, may that be our priority daily. To have fellowship with you, Lord. To get down on our knees and and pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Show us what it means to have that daily fellowship with you as we plead for the souls of men. And then as we use the doors, the open doors, that you give to us, O God, to point people to Jesus, who came to be their Savior. Lord, work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. To you be the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.